Just a quick warning that we will be discussing heavy themes like pregnancy loss, abortion, religion, suicide, and just really big sort of existential questions. So this is our unbleeped version of our thoughts as they come to us. Hello, welcome to the second episode of A Hopeless Endeavor, a Joanna Newsom podcast. Um, so we did not intend for our Emily episode to have two parts, um, but to no one's surprise, our initial recording um, bordered three full hours. So here you go. Uh, my name is Sam. I live in Vancouver. And I'm Nikki. I live in Ithaca in upstate New York. And thank you so much for enduring our long ass discussion on Emily. Yeah, like we said last episode, uh, we are working our way through Yee's one song at a time. Um, last week, we uh, were tackling Emily, and uh, we had so much to say that there's <laughs> a part two. Um, as we've said before, we are by no means experts, and we welcome all of your submissions, additions, and corrections with open hearts. Um, yeah, also, we are still just figuring out the structure of all of this. Um, but Any feedback is welcome. Totally. So, uh, like, if we go too long about something, please tell us you were bored with it. If we don't talk enough about something, we're open to that feedback too. We're just, we're just sort of scrambling here. We don't know exactly what we're doing. So, yeah, we're open. Seriously, like, truly, genuinely open to any feedback you guys have for us. So, our next episode will be on Monkey and Bear. I have a feeling it might be a two-parter as well. Um, but if you have anything to say, please let us know. Um, you can write us an email. We would love if you sent in a voice memo. Um, it's really hard hearing our own voices. So, um... Take a seat, um, pour yourself a drink, get ready to hear to us, get ready to hear us keep talking about um, Emily. Enjoy. Several (laughs) wine and beers, dude. Have fun. Thanks, guys. Um, So after that is, you came and lay a cold compress upon the mess I'm in through the windows wide and cried amen 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 the whole world stopped to hear you hollering and you looked down and saw now what was happening okie dokie so yeah god there's so much um i mean the thing that i have noted about the um cold compress part is just the like I think pretty obvious notion that like Emily is just coming and comforting whatever shit the narrator has gotten herself into. Um, I think the next line is where things get a little bit more foggy and maybe interesting, controversial. Through the windows wide just makes me like hark back to the beginning of the song when we were like, they're in a tower. They're up above somewhere. We don't know where or why or how, but um might they be throwing the windows open of that tower now yeah right so i think that's exactly right and i think that that and the next line the whole world stopped to hear you hollering um like i don't know it gives the vibe that 
Emily has done something wrong, right? Like to throw the windows wide and cry like, amen, amen, amen. And the whole world stops to hear her like just fucking shouting. It makes it seem like she's making a scene where there just ought not be a scene maybe. I, I, I don't know. So on Genius, the like theory is that, okay, because the loss of a child Uh, Whether it be through abortion or miscarriage, that is a controversy we can get into when we're talking about sawdust and diamonds. I happen to think it's an abortion. Um, But on Genius, the theory is that uh, Emily has thrown the windows wide and sort of like let the town or the people below know something that should have been private. Like the whole world stopped to hear you hollering is like not – if someone said that to me, it's like not a very nice thing to say. Yeah. If they said like the whole world stopped to hear you hollering, I'd be like, fuck shit. Like I shouldn't have been hollering so much. Yeah. Right. Um, and then it seems as though she looks down and she sees now what's happening. Like she didn't realize that her commotion would have drawn this attention, but like it, it in fact has. I'm just looking at some uh, notes again from the incredible M.M. Wright. Mm. Um and she's bringing it back or, uh, sorry, the unnamed person in this document is bringing it back. Yes. To the window we had seen before, but yeah. also to the birds, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, how does it connect to the birds? Like, um, specifically the line, uh, set to the sky in a flying spree. Sorry. I'm just jumping between windows here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the speaker sits behind a window in the sky and falls over with grief, um, for the helpless birds. Um, and maybe just that that has a connection to the mess that the narrator is in. Yeah. Um, that again, seeing this violence, um, is kind of overwhelming. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because, um, I kind of get the vibe that she, Joanna, um, links birds with potential like babies or like fetuses. So, oh, I mean, this is this wait is, for our episode on baby birch. Oh my god, soon. Yes. and sawdust <laughs> and diamonds. So, oh my so god. when she talks about like the dove, I can't help but think, think that she's talking about a fetus, but then also there's this, um really early recording of I guess you can call it only skin but it's actually just like a part of only skin I guess um but where she said and it's where actually the title of the tumblr that we referred to before the blessing all the birds uh tumblr, oh which is incredible too which is incredible yeah it's where it comes from though so she she sings um blessing all the birds who died so I could live or that I could live blessing all the birds that died that I could live and, like, it's, like, where she would say, like, being a woman, being a woman. Right. But, um, she just sings over and over, blessing all the birds that died that I could live. And I don't know. In my interpretation, it's, like, blessing all the the, the fetuses or, like, maybe just, like, potential embryo, like, the, the potential beings that could have been brought into existence that were not so that I could live my own life. Totally. Um, and you know what it makes me think of a very on a very personal note. Um, my mom always used to call, like she used to say when we were little, 
um, before we were born that we were twinkles in her eye, which is very sweet. Um, But it makes me think of that too, right? Like um, something that maybe you're willing into being, um, but that, that may or may not have have come to fruition. I also really like the idea of amen is just meaning uh, one interpretation obviously is meaning so be it. Yeah. Um to yeah. cry to throw the windows open and to cry so be it so be it so be it. Um is really interesting. It's super interesting. Uh yeah, cuz like the literal meaning of amen is like so be it or like truthfulness or something like that, right? In his words, something his word. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I really like that too. So be it, so be it, so be it. And if we're like going with the theme too of Emily being like the very literal one of the two and the narrator being like the poetic, um, like more like head in the clouds kind of person and then it already being like, or, and sorry, Emily being like really grounded when she's saying like, so be it. She's like, well, we can't like, uh, like sit and dwell on like what could have been like, so be it. Yeah. What what is is what it's is finished. Let's move it's, on. The experiment yeah. is done. Next yeah. thing. Next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. So, uh, I think that maybe it's possible that the interpretation of her having um, I can't remember if I said like in in the the verse we were just talking about um, on Genius it says like the interpretation is that Emily has thrown the windows and cried about the abortion or maybe like miscarriage on some interpretations um, that the narrator has had and that she's divulged that information to uh, the community or to like the people, the whole oh, world. And that they they stop to hear her hollering and she's like, oh shit, I, I let loose this information. So that's on Genius. That's the um, interpretation. And I, I don't know how much credence to give that other than that like in the – the next line I never really knew exactly what to make of, but just sort of thinking about it more in this past week, knowing that we were going to record this, when she says, the lines are fading in my kingdom, though I have never known the way to board them in. Um, I was always like, well, what the fuck lines is she talking about here, right? <laughs> like, what are the lines that are fading in her kingdom? And I think now my interpretation of it, at least, or my understanding is that like there are lines that she and her sister or like the world that she and her sister inhabited in their childhood, which is like this like magical, happy, welcoming place is fucking gone. And so like that's fading. But then also maybe if we're if we're taking that last theory that I mentioned into consideration, it could also be the lines as in like like in the Bible, they talk a lot about like familial lines. So like the yeah, kingdom yeah, yeah. of Joseph or whatever and like the uh, lines of that family. And so if we're thinking about a loss of a baby or a fetus and we're it's thinking It's like the about loss like, of that bloodline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The lines are fading. And then like she's saying like I have never known the way to board them in. That I'm not exactly sure how to take, but like maybe like I don't know who to count as like family or as like the people closest to me, or I don't know who to count as um I don't know. I don't know. And it's interesting that she uses she chooses to use the word fading too, right? Yeah. Like it's not something that's wholly gone. Mm-hmm. Um and it's not necessarily something that's moving quickly either, right? Like right, right. um interesting. 
Yeah, I don't know. It just like evokes to me. I don't know if you've had this thought, but like we're both, as I said before, from Winnipeg and we've since moved away to like several places since then. And like going back there now is this weird feeling of like, this is this place that I used to call home that I was so familiar with that was like, even though I didn't ever like love Winnipeg, it was just like this place that was like a comfort to me. And then going back there now, often I'll get this feeling of like, ah, like even if I wanted to return home, which is not something I want to do, but even if I wanted to go back to this like home that I had as a kid, it's not there anymore in the way that yeah. I recognized it. It's just, yeah. it's different. Like in this You're like, misplaced way. in it now, right? Yeah, like it's, exactly. And I get yeah. that vibe from this, this whole song, but also this particular part. Uh, so this entire verse um, continues. So the muddy mouths of baboons and sows and the grouse and the horse and the hen grope at the gate of the looming lake that was once a tidy pen. And the mail is late and the great estates are not lit from within. The talk in town's becoming downright sickening. It's so hard not to sing that as we go, but I will not. (laughs) I will do that in my own home. I will not do that to all of you lovely listeners. (laughs) Given that I cannot sing, I don't don't think I've ever really heard Sam sing, so I don't know about her. Oh, that's okay. I mean, but just so you guys know, we are on Skype and we're watching each other. And anytime anyone reads the lyrics, we're full body we're movement, bopping, <laughs> bopping to the beat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, what do you make of this part, Sam? Uh, so the first note that I have is just kind of like the misplacement of baboon with all of these other animals, the sows and the grouse and the horse and the hen, and just how that doesn't really fit. Um, Something doesn't, yeah, thanks. (laughs) It doesn't (laughs) fit with these kind of like pastoral um, animals. And then uh, I just kind of tied that to how the analogy of the meteorite, the meteorite and the meteor also is something that doesn't fit and Mm. it must be intentional. Yeah, you're right. Baboon really doesn't fit with sows and grouse and horse and hen. I had to look up also what grouse was. I forget. It's like some bird or something. Yeah, and it's, again, something I believe that would have been um, included in um, the kind of hunting that happened earlier, too, right? Yeah, you're Um, exactly right. It's a medium to large game bird with a plump body and feathered legs. But yeah, it's a game bird. You're totally right. Yeah. Which might have been with the meadowlark, the ginger bean, the sparrow sits. It's kind of flying spree. Yep. I don't know if um, this might be like a stretch, but stretch. okay. Like the, the next song is Monkey and Bear. Mm. And I don't know if a baboon counts as a monkey, but like the monkey and monkey and bear is fucking evil and scary and just awful. And so I wonder if you're right that like this misplacement, this like this insertion of the baboon in this pastoral um like scene where everything else fits but there's like this like insertion of this like scary shit i wonder if that's um intentional or relevant and and the greatest state's not being lit from within that's another line that was one of the first ones to speak to me where i was like yeah everything's fucking corrupt and (laughs) the greatest states do not emit light they're dark and shady they're without heart Uh, exactly 
exactly. Yeah, that was the other note that I had the greatest states as what? As these structures of the patriarchy that have been enacted, um, that are run without, um, I guess, in contrast to um, the early Judaism that we referenced earlier, which was very democratic too, right? Like, um, as something that is wholly run without heart, with the intention um, as part of the machine, right? As something... Um, that is created not for the people, but yeah. for like the upper like yeah. class or whatever, like the higher ups. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Um also I don't know about the mail being late. That seems really specific in a way that I don't know how to decipher. So if people have thoughts on that, please send them in because I don't really know. The mail is like it makes me think of like a period being late. Exactly. Think, really? You thought that too? That, I mean, that's because I am a person who happens to have one. Yeah. Um, I think that's the connection that my brain made. Um Yeah, and I mean, I think she really is talking about pregnancy or fertility in some way here, especially like in like four lines from now, she's gonna say, So healthy, gone healthy all of a sudden in search of a midwife, which like right. is an explicit we'll get there. But I think that that's explicitly referencing like uh, fertility or pregnancy or um, you know loss of pregnancy. So uh, it, maybe it maybe it is, and that the whole town is talking about it too, right? right? That they're talking about it negatively. It's yeah. downright sickening, um, and the impression that I get is it's sickening that they're even talking about this, um, right? They they too are maybe from the great estates. They are heartless. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I yeah, yeah. exactly. It's uh, dark. It's a dark time in this town. Yeah, and the only other note I have, I think, for that passage is just um, the idea of science itself, as we keep referencing her sister as a heartless endeavor, as something mm. um, that is fact based rather than um, based in emotion. Okay, and then she goes on to say, "In due time, we will see the far buttes lit by a flare. I've seen your bravery, and I will follow you there." And row through the nighttime, so healthy, gone healthy all of a sudden, in search of a midwife who can help me, who can help me, help me find my way back in. And there are worries where I've been. Okay. I'm sorry. I have one more point for the last oh, verse. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, course. I didn't read it until after. The line, grope at the gate of the looming lake yeah. that was once a tidy pen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just looked up what it means to dream if we're assuming that this is not an entirely realistic depiction of the narrator and Emily's relationship, um, if we consider it as a dream, um, I did a very quick search of what does it mean to dream of water overflowing? Um, and it does denote a certain turbulence of feeling out of control. And then we can maybe tie that back into what I'm assuming are rumors that are spreading around the town. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Sorry, what's the line where the water's overflowing? Grope at the gate of the looming lake. Oh, the lake. looming lake that was once a tidy pen. That was yeah. once a tidy pen. Yeah. So to me, that was something that once had very strict borders. Um, borders yeah. Exactly. Um but that doesn't anymore. A looming like lake too. It's scary. Ooh. It's straight yeah. up scary. Yeah. Um, that was once like this. Yeah. And like, yeah, it speaks to again, like this theme throughout the song that is like, as kids, we had this very like nice, welcoming, safe, light place that 
we loved and we grew up in and that was like sacred to us in this way. And now as adults, it's dark and looming and, um, and scary and intimidating and existential angst inducing. Yeah. I like that water reference though. You're exactly right. Especially because of the, the themes throughout the album. Totally. Okay. The next verse, what do you think? Okay. So I have a theory about the far butte slip by a flare thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, I had to look up butte because being from the super prairies where there's not a fucking hill in sight mm -hmm. for garbage hill. Um, uh, I looked up what butte is and it's like this, uh, uh, how would you describe it, Sam? Like a, like a, a tower of rock is what I have written down. Excellent. Yeah. In so, contrast to the spire earlier as well. Right. Yeah. Totally. That's a really good comparison. So the reason that I, um, I, uh, yeah, that I have this weird theory about this, this far butte lit by a flare thing is, um, again, sort of like, uh, uh, drawing on my earlier theory that Emily is being compared to Moses here because as my partner told me once Moses like kind of like rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt from the pharaohs he was bringing them through um, the desert on their way back home and he was like how God like Moses was like God how the fuck am I going to know where to go and God was like, look, I will guide you by giving you pillars of fire in the night to follow Whoa. and then pillars of cloud in the day to follow so you'll know where to go all the time. And they had to cross the Red Sea eventually um, because they got there. And that's when Moses like split the water um, in order to like be able to cross, which I think comes maybe back up in the line that's coming up where, he's, where she says, um, chew the water from the water. Maybe, but I think that maybe there might be a biblical reference here where she's saying, uh, in due time, we will see the far beats slip by a flare. I've seen your bravery and I will follow you there where she's, she's referencing Moses being, um, led by this pillar of fire, uh, in the same way as the far, far butte is lit. Cool. I yeah, know. I didn't. Uh, I love that. I like really don't know anything about the Bible. So that's just like a very naive uh, theory that I came up with as my partner was telling me about <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> totally. Okay. And then um, do you have anything else to say, Sam, about the – I don't think so. I just had a question as to like what is what is lit, what is – I was like, is it the flame of the space rock <laughs> lighting? Right. Um, yeah. The far butte? Don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. But it seems like we'll have something to guide us back to safety, even though we're in like this like fucking uh, like lake of darkness right now, river of darkness. Yeah. Help me find my way back in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to row through the nighttime. So that part too, um, I think this is again from M.M. Wright, but she had alluded to the fact that the Pleiades, the seven sisters that we had talked about earlier, are also like sailors. Um, oh, cool. And so I think she had said at some point that like this is in reference specifically to, I mean, obviously Emily and the narrator are sisters and then the Pleiades 
are all sisters, seven of them, and they're all sailors. And so maybe that's like, I don't know, maybe being alluded to here. Totally. We did get a submission as well from Corey. So thank you so much, Corey, for sending us your awesome, super long, super in-depth email. We really appreciate it. We really do. Um, And uh, he just kind of tied um, the themes again of water and boats and the river and flooding um, from the Yeast Myth to um, Emily in mm. that line, Leave Your Troubles Here, where the tugboats shear the yeah. water. Yeah, totally. This excess of water, which is totally prevalent throughout yeah. the whole album. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a little bit ahead of us, though. My bad. Eh. It's a coming. You're kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, the only line in between is in search of a midwife who can help me, who can help me, help me find my way back in, which by fucking love as yeah. invoking a midwife, which is like obviously traditionally going to be associated with birth and bringing this life into existence into the into the world but in this case is like the reverse of that right so it's looking for a midwife who can help me find my way back into the womb because like this place is too much yeah and someone is worrying about where you've been yeah like you were supposed to be there yeah and you're not yeah in this safe space where you have not been and so you Mm -hmm. need someone to help you come back in and like in a way emily's kind of the midwife in the situation and that she's like helping the narrator find their way back home find their way back to safety and comfort totally um okay and then she goes on to say uh say 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 in the lee of the bay don't be bothered leave your troubles here where the tugboat shear the water from the water flanked by furrows curling back like a match held up to a newspaper i always forever like for such a long time thought that this was and say 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 emily of the bay oh sure i totally didn't hear in the lee um so the lee is uh by definition a sheltered side of something the side away from the wind something giving cover yeah yeah right um which emily very much is exactly exactly leave your troubles here so like yeah don't be bothered be sheltered from the wind yeah flanked by furrows i love that line flanked by furrows oh yeah back so um, I remember being like this little 20-year-old with like a shaved head in a Starbucks reading. <laughs> I literally for some reason had my Joanna Newsom like CD booklet on me like reading the lyrics <laughs> in a Starbucks. Booklet. Oh my god. I don't know what I was doing but I was like waiting for my like latte or something and just like sitting on a Starbucks stool and just like reading like mmm flank by furrows. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. The CD <laughs> booklet is hilarious. <laughs> good memories. So. Again we are we are elder millennials. We did have these <laughs> physical things on cd-roms we absolutely did i in fact at the last concert i was at just in september i uh, september of 2019 i got my uh partner bought me a the vinyl copy of east and i got her to sign it and it was like the best fucking moment of my life wow i hope that's framed in your home somewhere on display you'll see it next week it is displayed in my office which i'm currently not in but it is framed there like on display because she like wrote my name and it was like oh my god and i like said stuff to her 
it's very intimate. But it was like, was it like blorp, blorp, blorp? Or did you have real words? I don't remember anything other than that. I said to her, thank you so much for creating the music that you create. It has been like literally the most enduring thing in my life. It has like gotten me through more like relationships and situations and like moods and uh, like phases of my life. It has been the thing that I have turned back to more than anything else. And then I talked to her for a while after, but I don't remember anything that I fucking said after that. Other oh, than what a haze. Um, okay. So then uh, when we're talking about the Lee of the Bay, don't be bothered, leave your troubles here with a tugboat, share the water from the water. That's like another place where I maybe um, uh, shouldn't be, but instead do um, draw like a Moses reference where he, oh, sure, yeah. in finding his way back home, um, parts the waters of the Red Sea so that he can like lead the Israelites back to home. And so, oh, also the, there's somewhere in my thing where I have a um, a Bible line that is quoted where he sa- God says something about parting the waters from the waters. Give me a second here. Oh, yeah. Okay. God said, let there be a firmament, which I had to look up the definition for. So it means like heavens or sky, which I thought was interesting because it's like religion cool. or just nature. So. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. So that's in Genesis 1, colon 6. I don't know how to cite Bible verses. but um, The water from the water. Yeah. Yeah. So I cool. can't help but think she's referencing this biblical passage maybe. Uh, my next note is on furrows. Mm. Um uh, a long, narrow trench made in the ground by a plow, especially for planting seeds or irrigation, which I guess we could take to mean if we're talking about um, the womb and pregnancy, mm. something related to that. But also, um, the Pharisees dragged a comb through the meadow. The dragging of a comb through the meadow um, makes me think of plow. Perhaps. Oh my god, totally, Sam. And plow seems especially relevant because uh in Monkey and Bear, the like Ursa Major, which is like Ursula, right? The the big dipper is mm-hmm. also referred to as the the plow. Wow. Which I don't think is an accident because at the end of the song she's also talking about like the dirt red bullet of light, which is referring to something that you like confined because of the Big Dipper. I just, I don't, like, I normally am cool with coincidences and I'm cool with being like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> with Joanna, I'm like, ah, it's intentional. <laughs> Conspiracy theory. soon we will hear the pollen ruins the plow. Exactly. Totally. Well. Totally. Okay. The next one is, um, oh, anything about, Flank by furrows curling back like a match held up to a newspaper. Do we think that is just mostly a visual, like an incredibly uh, potent visual? Totally a potent visual. Yeah, I don't know other than that it – if you picture like the boat going through the water and like dividing the water from the water and it looking like the way that, you know, a newspaper would curl back. I think that's such a fucking cool – comparison i wonder what it's like to live in the head of someone like joanna Newsom and to see the world through those terms because that is just uh it's so incredible i aspire to that 
<laughs> and also what you said about the splitting of the Red Sea, you know, like that wave creating a very yeah. specific shape, um, which I'm making with, <laughs> with my body right now. Um, yeah. But is is almost like a shape that is curling back um, and flanked by the waves behind it. And like, I think it's interesting that furrows are like these things that are are fertile, right? Like, it's Ooh, also just yeah, sort of drawing our word. attention to that 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 furrows are these things that are supposed to foster um, like seeds and plants and uh, to be nourished in that way. Totally, it's like fertility theme going throughout this this song. Uh, so the next one is Emily. They'll follow your lead by the letter. And I make this claim, and I'm not ashamed, to say I knew you better. What they've seen is just a beam of your sun that banishes winter. I mean, I don't know about you, but it brings me back to sun pouring wine, Lord Amaro, into the bones of the birches. Um, And again, just the general theme of nature. So I am super curious about the line that says, um, and I'll make this claim. Well, first of all, like they'll follow your lead by the letter is a thing that like made me think of Moses in the first place with my partner saying like the Pharisees Ooh. are the people who have followed Moses's law by the letter. And so when she's saying like Emily, they'll like who's the they'll in question in my head, it's like the Pharisees will follow your lead by the letter. So they're going to follow you in the way that they follow Moses to the letter of the law. Like we're going to take everything that you say literally. And then she's saying, on this interpretation, which again, I'm not confident in, so please take this with a grain of salt. She's saying like, I'll make this claim and I'm not ashamed, Emily, to say that I know you better. So the question is like, better than what? Um, Better than the Pharisees know you? Uh, Better than uh, to think that you would do X, Y, and Z? Um, what, what, What does she know her better than? And in this, like on this Moses sort of theme interpretation, I think it's that like, I make this claim and I'm not ashamed to say I know you better than the Pharisees know you in that there's more to what you're doing and saying than to take everything you're saying super literally, like then to to follow your lead uh, in this super literal way. There's more to you than the literalness that you're conveying. I wonder then if we can consider that as a reason for why she did um, the chorus as she did, right? She said she would memorize it. She had written it down. The narrator said they had memorized it. The narrator said she would write it down. Yeah. Um, and she's claiming to follow her lead. Um, but I wonder what's holding her back, right? Yeah. Like, And she's not ashamed to say she knew her better. Like, she's not ashamed to be like, hey, Pharisees, you're mistaken. Um, I know... I know this person better than that. And I know that all they've seen is just uh, a part of your son. All they've seen is just a bit of your greatness that banishes like this darkness, right? Like they haven't, they haven't seen any of you yet. They don't even know what's coming. Exactly. Uh, Which I wonder if we could tie again into religion some way. I have no basis for this, uh, this point at all. But like if we, um, Sorry, I'm just going to look back here for we considered God's divine light as something that humans are devoid of. Yeah. Um, if that's something that the narrator can also see in Emily, 
totally. Actually, like you just saying that right now made me think in this like way that the wine and this conversation have conspired to make me like more confident than I should be about this analysis. But <laughs> I think I get this vibe that like, okay, if we're thinking that the narrator throughout the song is like losing faith in like A, her home and like B, like the comfort that that home has provided her and like see this religious aspect that has that has um, played this prominent part. If we're thinking that the narrator is sort of like losing her grasp of those things, it's almost as though she's looking at Emily to be the replacement for those things. She's like, look, all this shit is beyond my reach and it's not there for me anymore but like Emily you're there for me now yeah what they've seen is just a beam of your son that of your son that banishes winter it's like I, I, you are the light that I'm gonna hang on to like the family relations matter this connection that we have matters in this way that I can like sort of um uh, I can hold in. I can yeah. hold exactly yeah. as like my replacement for like the groundedness that religion or my home used to give me that it just doesn't provide anymore like you're there you're there for me yeah I wonder to just the mention again confidence from um, <laughs> this drink that I have here um, but if we're talking about the womb again if we're talking about um, the whole town is talking about this can we refer to the scarlet letter in some way um as either a symbol of shame or as a power uh, as a symbol of power or identity in some way um just throwing it out there it's cool that you say that though because the um how do you say it again sam May repeat, may repeat. Oh my God! Please don't quote me on that. Yeah, <laughs> the professors are going to listen and then be like, <laughs> <laughs> however it is that you pronounce M E R O P E. Um, she like is characterized in large part by her hiding her face in shame, um, mm. because she married Sisyphus, right? She married this um this mortal. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe that speaks to what you were talking about. Okay, so I actually just realized that there's something I wanted to go back to um, that we missed, which is like a couple, maybe like 10 lines back or something. But when she says, so healthy, gone healthy, all of a sudden in search of a midwife, um, I just wanted to make sure that we noted that the gone healthy all of a sudden part seems significant to me in that it to me at least seems to um, sort of reference like how you would be sick at the beginning of a pregnancy and then after having lost that pregnancy, either by abortion or miscarriage, you would stop being, you know, morning sick or like first trimester sick. Um, I don't know. That's the only interpretation I could think of for God healthy all of a sudden. And then right after she invokes the midwife, um, yeah, so that's my interpretation, at least of that line, but I, I don't know. Okay, so now we are at our titular line. So we are at, let us go, though we know it's a hopeless endeavor. The ties that bind, they are barbed and spined and hold us close forever. That there is nothing that would help me come to grips with a sky that is gaping and yawning. There is a song that I woke with on my lips as you sailed your great ship towards the morning. Uh, so again, boats, water, 
<laughs> um, helplessness. Helplessness. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the title of our podcast very much because we know, I, I think to a certain extent we knew what we were getting into, but the more we talk <laughs> about it, we realize how hopeless this endeavor. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ties that bind, they are barbed and spined. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that like, again, it's invoking this um, violence that has been a theme throughout the song and throughout the album. Um, which is sort of referring to, so I think the ties that bind, I think is at least a traditional way of saying like the, um, like literal familial relationships that we have, um, the ties that bind us together, they are barbed and spined, which is like this violent, like brutal thing, which is like, like, listen, like we're stuck together no matter what, because we're forced to be almost right. That bloodline, right? That bloodline. Exactly. And it's going to hold us close forever. And then, God, I love this next line, which I don't know if I'm right about, but forever I've interpreted it it in this way and want to keep doing so. Um, Where she says, there is nothing that would help me come to grips with the sky that is gaping and yawning. In my head, this is just um, like thinking about the sky sort of for the first time, if you were raised believing in God and you are now having this existential crisis and sort of questioning whether God is real or not, and you're thinking about the sky as gaping, as in like, we pray to the sky, we pray to heavens, which for us is like, you know, above us, like literally in the sky. And if you start to think that that God isn't real or that he does not exist, you'll start to think of the sky as gaping. It's just this fucking vastness again. As the void, right? It's the void, exactly. And yawning is such a brutal word to use here because it conveys this like disinterestedness where God is not paying attention to you. Nothing's fucking paying attention to you. It doesn't matter. Like like if you're you're thinking about your life – and you're thinking about God not existing. It's just this meaninglessness where the sky is yawning because it does not have an interest in your measly little life. Um, and so she's I, in my head, she's saying there's nothing that could help me come to grips with this vastness, this existential shit. And then again, sailing your great ship towards the morning, just invoking like the Pleiades being sailors. Um, and then the morning invoking like home. Homeness, light. And just the idea of, like, if we go back to the meteoroid as being thrown from the void, um, it's lying quiet. Like, the narrator's saying it's quiet just as, um, just as this yawning is, right? Yeah. Like, I love that you said this disinterestedness. Um, yeah, it's like a certain passiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't doesn't care. It doesn't care, but also I like I like that you brought it back to the meteoroid because it lies quiet and offering to thee to you. So, like, so there's lies, a choice there. Yeah, exactly. It's offering you to exactly to like I don't know whatever you believe um, or you don't believe. Engage. You believe yeah. or you don't believe. You believe or you don't believe, or like or like rather like you live or you don't live like you 
Yeah. If you engage with this life or you be fucking existential dready for forever and don't engage because it's all meaningless. Like Totally. Yeah. I don't know. I like that. This next shit, this next verse perplexes me, man. Ooh. I don't – it's so good, but like I don't know. I have n- pretty much nothing insightful to say about this next verse. Do you want to read it? Oh, an honor. Um, <laughs> the next verse is, come on home. The poppies are all grown knee-deep by now. Blossoms all have fallen, and the pollen ruins the plow. Peonies nod in the breeze, and while they wetly bow, with hydrocephalitic listlessness, ants mop up their brow. Uh, (laughs) Where do we begin? Fucking good. Oh my god. Let's begin it with poppies because, um, again, it's hard for me to think that she's naming specific flowers here without Mm. them having meaning. In fact, so I have like this giant Joanna Newsom tattoo on my thigh and it's like half based on the cover of East. And I think, Sam, that you and I had talked about doing a separate episode just about the artwork of East because there's – She's explicitly said, like, literally everything in this painting is symbolic of something, of some theme in the album. And so there's so much to dissect there. So I think we're going to do our own um, episode about about the, the artwork on the album cover. But anyways, I think that there is a poppy in her, uh, like, crown of flowers that she's wearing. Cool. And so in Canada, at least, poppies um, – like we're made to wear them all the time for what, Sam? For for Remembrance Day. For Remembrance Day. So to remember like, soldiers that have lost their lives. Yeah. In the wars Who that have died. passed. Yeah. So at least in like from what we are uh uh like from our traditions in Canada, right? Yeah, poppies very much symbolize death and remembering the dead and almost like I don't know. I don't know how much of coming to terms with it there is there, but like it's about we wear literal like like fake poppies, but we like have these pins of poppies that it's incredibly common to see in Canada on um, colors around Remembrance Day, which just like isn't like that now that I've moved to the States. I've been here for like whatever, seven years, six years. Um, And it's just not like that here. But in Canada, it's like a big thing that we wear poppies to, to remember the dead. And so I can't help but think that, like, I, I, I don't know. She's telling Emily to come on home, right? She's saying, Emily, come home now. Um, time has passed. Time has passed. Yeah, exactly. Time has passed. And I'm not sure how to tie in the poppy symbolism to that. Um, like, one of, in one of the interviews that I was listening to in preparation for this podcast, she had said something about how Emily – being an astrophysicist has like traveled the fucking globe is like always on these endeavors and is like very much comfortable with and is sort of constituted in this way. She's like made to be able to travel in this way. That's like healthy for her. And I'm very much paraphrasing, but Joanna had said like, that is not me. I, I, 
like it's ironic that I have this job as a musician where I have to tour around because she's like, if it were just up to me, I would not travel. Like I'm a homebody. I want to stay I in hear my that. place. Yeah. yeah, me too. And so when she's saying, come on home, she's like, Emily, come, like, come back to this like shelter almost. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So as you were talking, I was just thinking about you know, we started the song in December, right? We started the song in the middle of winter. Um, now, not only have the poppies grown, but the blossoms have fallen. So what season are we? Are we spring? Are we late spring? Are we back autumn. to autumn? Yeah. Are we back to fall? Um, yeah. They have fallen. Um, and I have this really interesting note here again from M.M. Wright. Um the line, the pollen ruins the plow, just the idea of um, the note is nature defeats industry. But mm. um, I think we could just take it as science as well too, right? Like yeah, um, yep. nothing stops the blossoms from falling. Nothing stops time from passing. Yeah, there's um, nothing we can do to like, yeah. And that big existential question again too, yeah. right? Like, yeah, shit's going to change no matter what we do about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was this theory that like for a very long time, maybe like three years ago or something, because like I've been, you know, following the genius annotations on all Joanne Newsom songs for like actual, like, like a decade, probably <laughs> like I've been really obsessed with it for a long time. And there was this like period in my life where I was really obsessed with the idea that the poppies in this line were referring to... <laughs> It seems far-fetched when I say it now, so I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but like the poppy is referring to like opiates. So you know how you can get opiates from poppies and so it's mm -hmm. like a painkiller. Um, I don't think then, that's that far-fetched. No, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the same vein, if we're thinking about painkiller drugs, like the pollen ruins the plow in being like – um, like productivity is hindered by this indulgence, this um, yeah excessiveness that we've sort of like let ourselves get into. And then just today, I was looking at the genius annotations for peonies, um, the the peonies not in the breeze and while they wet they bow line, and it was saying that in like ancient Chinese medicine, I think that peonies were specifically used for pain relief for like menstrual cramps, but also in particular like cramps that you would get after an abortion or a miscarriage. And so, interesting. yeah, I don't, I don't know how much weight to put in that. It could be a coincidence, but I kind of like thinking about it in that way. I mean, and just the general idea that poppies are a flower that contain a seed Again, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, when I just Googled poppy quickly, um, I described them as having a milky sap as well, mm. which I think is really interesting. Mm. Um, <laughs> if we're talking about motherhood, if we're talking about nature, if we're talking about sex, um, sex if we're even if we're talking about sisterhood, really, like to yeah. share the same breast in a sense, um, might be interesting. Also, you know how in Only Skin she says, I'm humming a threshing song until the yeah. night is over? 
so I don't know why I forget why now, but today I was looking up what threat. Oh, it was because in in this song she says, um, like there is a song I woke with on my lips as you sailed your great ship towards the morning. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck song is she talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the only other song that I can think of on this album that she refers to is the threshing song, and mm. threshing is, as I learned today, the action of um, removing a seed from like a husk or a stalk. Oof. And so it just seems to really tie into this pastoral, I don't know, vibe maybe. I don't know what to even do with that comparison, but there's, well, there's that. Again, if we're talking about, if we're throwing the idea out there of loss, a miscarriage mm-hmm. of abortion, to oh, thresh yeah. a seed from a husk, right? Like that's oh my a God. violent fucking act. Sam, um, totally. <gasps> I didn't even think of that. I feel so dumb now, but yeah. No, dude, that's why we here. <laughs> As why? Oh my god, I love that. Oh god, I love that so much. Okay, you're totally right. Yep. The line "hydrocephalic listlessness" is maybe one of the most fun things to sing along with. Like how many drunk nights wearing headphones walking home you yelled that <laughs> to i'm sure the disdain of all of your neighbors but to the fucking void man totally to the void exactly <laughs> yeah many a night i would say um but you're right that is the most fun line to say it's such an incredible just like act of poetry demonstration of her goddamn fierce like incomparable ability to create these lines that just are gobsmacking and like just floor me slaughter me um so in case you guys haven't looked this up like hydrocephalitic refers to i think hydrocephal how do you say it hydrocephalus hydrocephalus yeah exactly which is a condition in which you have an excess of water in your brain um and so it like results in some kind of very dangerous swelling is my understanding. Um, it's like a very serious condition, I think. But um, the image here that she's drawing is so I, – I have like since understanding what she's saying here, I have yet to see a peony without thinking of this line. Oh, so these cool. peonies are like these gigantic like fluffy flowers with these huge heads, right? These like engulfed heads. Um, and if you're picturing them – bowing they like literally will sort of like almost collapse under the own weight of their heads and she's saying like they wetly bow because there's so much fucking water in their heads it's hydrocephalitic and they're bending over and i'm not sure why the ants mop up their brow like is emily the ant here i'm not sure i mean i will say that um peonies are super popular in gardens here in vancouver and um it is super common to see them. I'm going to, every time I see them now, I'm going to think of how um, they are bowing in that way, but also that their stems don't break. Um, and the ants mopping up their brow. I wonder if it's like, like initially, I think I was thinking the ants are sweating, but I are they getting dripped on? Are the raindrops like hitting the peony and then hitting the ants? Are the ants trying to hold it up in some way or like- Wait, were you thinking of the ants mopping up like the ants brow or the ants Hmm. mopping 
Oh man, I have never thought of it that way. I always thought of it as the ants mopping up the peonies, bro. The the peonies hydrocephalitic. So like they're taking care of the peonies almost because the hydrocephalitic peonies are like bowing over and like dripping with this fucking wet, heavy water. And the ants are like, here, I'll help you. Like, But they're being like tender at least. Um, they're like taking care of life, which I think like no matter what interpretation we use, they're like tending to themselves or to other people, other things. Um, the next verse is another really fun one to sing. Um, so good. So she says, and everything with wings is restless, aimless, drunk, and dour. The butterflies and birds collide at hot, ungodly hours, and my clay-colored motherlessness rangily reclines. Come on home now, all my bones are dolorous with vines. Um, did you, you said earlier before we were recording, I think that you had a connection to Lolita. Um, was it in this verse or was it elsewhere? It was in this. Yep. And was it the motherlessness? So, uh, no, although that's interesting. It was the rangely reclines and the dolorous with vines. So, um, in like several interviews, um, Joanna has mentioned how she has Nabokov as a huge influence and how she just like really respects her work, his work, sorry. And I am pretty sure that she's also mentioned that in this song specifically, she references Nabokov. Um, Again, I'm so sorry. I can't remember where I read this from. I will, I promise I'll do a better job at like keeping notes um, about my sources, but if you guys have read Lolita, which you should, it's such a good book. I'm currently reading Pale Fire by Nabokov, oh. and it's super good as well. It reminds me of Joanna a lot. Um, okay, but the dolorous part, I think, just means pain, right? So, like, I'm pretty sure that dolorous means pain, but it's a weird way to say yeah, it Yeah, feeling or expressing um, great sorrow or distress. Uh, okay, yeah. So, interesting. So in Lolita, right, her name is – Lolita's name is Dolores, but they call her Lolita as like a, a nickname. Um, but I feel like when you read Lolita – it's been years for me since I've read it, but I believe that the term Dolores is very much contrasted with Dol- Dolores, like D-O-L-O-R-E-S, yes. Yes. I think is how you spell it, right? Um, and then I think also the fact that she rangely reclines is also um, referencing like the long-limbed Lolita sort of just um, – I think there's a scene where she's like laying back on this like sun chair or something and um, Humbert Humbert, the the main character of it, the guy who's like pedophilic, is sort of lusting after her. I'm pretty sure that that's a thing. I could be making it up, but I think that's – that's true. I do actually have a quote um, from Joanna here, um, and this is from sourced from. I wonder if this is where you got it to the Warp Woof Wimble um, page here, and the quote was, um, "I flinched. Characters that in my head had life to them were so finely drawn that they became archetypal." In the song Emily, there's a reference mm. to Lolita. Not directly to the character, but to the heavy, languorous energy, that listlessness and decadence, the rangy long limbs of her adolescence. He's giving her candy 
and fancy dresses to fill the hole he's creating in her heart. I'm sure that's the same. Uh, that's exactly it. And actually, now that you say that, God, it's so depressing, but also so good that she, that he's like um, giving her all of these like lavish gifts in order to fill this emotional void is like so Joanna-esque in that like she is acknowledging this hole that's still there, this void that's still there no matter what he does. I think in Only Skin this also becomes um, kind of like a theme maybe. But yeah, that's exactly the line. That's exactly the interview that I uh, was. And it's actually of. an article from The Guardian uh, written by Laura Barton, where she just collects um, the latest wave of singer songwriters, how they interpret books. Um, but the motherlessness as well. Um, uh, the word motherlessness, uh, which is so rarely used, occurs near the start of the book. Um, where the narrator uses it to describe his own situation of having a dead mother. Um, hmm. Like Humbert Humbert? In yeah, I believe so, yes. Oh, cool. I didn't know this that. This is from okay. the same um, warfwhipwimble.com. Yeah, really cool. And um, I did much more recently read uh, Lolita, but unfortunately I read so quickly things are in and out. Um, <laughs> Sam is a book fiend, you guys. She dev- Bowers books in a way that is completely unprecedented to me. Like I don't understand how she does this. It's truly impressive. And I very much enjoy them while they're being read. But unfortunately, once they're finished, it's kind of in one ear of the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Um, yeah, also just like I like very simply without very much depth here. I I, I just like appreciate the reference to motherlessness in respect to the rest of the like abortion slash maybe miscarriage shit that she's been referencing throughout the song it's clearly a theme that's going to come into play throughout the album um what do you think about the way she describes it as clay colored so it's not that she's clay colored it's that her motherlessness is clay colored Mm. my clay colored motherlessness i mean if we're going to be really direct here, and I think we might need to go back and put a trigger warning at the beginning of clay color just makes me think of kind of like what, um, what you experience at maybe the beginning and the end of a period. Um, that's not quite blood, um, or a blood clot, but is something else. Um, totally. What do you think? I don't know. I have been like really, sort of meditating over this line like I don't know what to make of the clay colored part um when I think of clay like I think of almost potential right so like if you Mm. think of like a ball of clay you think of like the ways in which someone might take it and mold it into different figures and um forms that it like would then instantiate if you do the thing Mm -hmm. if you do the molding of it but because you haven't it's like this like untapped potential that's just gonna fucking sit there now that you're not forming this thing into being and like the idea that the motherlessness is rangely rangely reclining rather than like the woman herself it's like fucking intrusive it's like this this feeling of motherlessness this 
vibe is like stretching out and making itself comfortable in your life. And there's less of a choice in this too, right? Like even though you maybe have the material in front of you, um, it seems like there's not much choice in that motherlessness, at least to me. Yeah. So like I tend to think that and again, I don't know, and I'm not speculating about like Joanna's specific experience, but rather like what she's writing about. I tend to think that the um, like loss of baby or fetus that she's writing about, I tend to think that it's referencing abortion, but there's like a hot debate about this. It could be like a miscarriage without choice, right? Um, I tend to think that, that it is abortion and that she – but but like there's there's also this question of like what choice amounts to right so if you're in a situation in which like having a child is just not a feasible option like yes you have a choice you could actually have it but like is it how much of a choice do we want to say that actually is right so how right. how open do the options need to be in order for the thing in question to be considered a real choice and if if you're in a situation in which that's just not like a thing that you can imagine happening it's not really that much of a choice it's just a thing that you need to do yeah 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 no that's a really good point um all my bones are dolorous with vines it's just such a beautiful image too kind of being um stuck yeah exactly like almost in the same way as um what's the line like the the ties that bind there are barbed yeah, in spine. Totally. It's like holding her down yes. in a way, but like in place. Like mm-hmm. like you said, like you can't move. Yeah. They're dolorous. They're like suffering with these things that have grown over her. And the Just like, um, bones again too, right? Yeah. And the bones again. Exactly. Yeah. It really invokes this feeling of like immobility. Totally. Like I can't That's the word. This. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then she goes on to say, do you have any more to say about this, Sam? I don't think so. Not right now anyway. Okay. Okay. So then she goes on to say, Pa pointed out to me for the hundredth time tonight, the way the ladle leads to a dirt red bullet of light. Squint skyward and listen. Loving him, we move within his borders. Just asterisms in the stars set order. Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, so I have again in front of me this amazing document from M.M. Wright, mm-hmm. um, in which she um, kind of ties together the ladle as referencing the Big Dipper, um, which is an asterism that is part of Ursa Major, and Ursula's the bear from Monkey Bear in the next song. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say too much about that yet. So what I have from M. Wright is she goes on to say, um, she references an Arthur magazine interview, uh, with Joanna saying that it was a star that her dad always pointed out, um, that it name its name is derived from the Greek word for bear. Um, and in mythology, Arca's mother, uh, Castillo was turned into a bear by Zeus so that Hera would not realize he had been unfaithful to her. This mm. is more about monkey and bear, though. Hey? Yeah, so I think for sure the end of this song relates to monkey and bear, for sure. Um, I just like the use of clay-colored and dirt red here as well, too. 
just a really uh, nice connection. Yeah, and it invokes, again, this thing that I might be imposing into the song, but this, like, earthliness contrasted with this sky spaciness, which is, like, again, it's the same shit. It's, like, I don't know, invoking images of, like, our earthliness, our uh, landlockedness on this planet as opposed to the vastness of the sky. Yeah, I don't know. All that is out there. Hmm. Okay. Would you like to continue? Sure. The uh, next verse here is squint skyward and listen. Loving him, we move within his borders, just asterisms in the stars set order. We can stand for a century staring with our heads cocked in the broad daylight at this thing joy landlocked (laughs) in bodies that don't keep dumbstruck with the sweetness of being till we don't be told take this and eat this this is such a beautiful verse it's just so beautiful it really is i want to stare with my head cocked at the beauty of this verse because it's it's just so good um Okay, so let's start at the beginning of this. So loving him, we move within his borders. Um, do you think that his here is referring to, like, God? So God, listen, loving him, we move within his borders. I mean, if we think of God, if we think of him as the creator, mm-hmm. um, and we think of him as, we think of them as creating earth, um, he, they are the person, they are the one who defines the borders, Right. Like, yeah. um, so if we think of it literally like that, then we can't leave those borders, right? Like we are, like you said, landlocked. We are, yeah. um, only here, but also makes me think, um, of the borders that were fading, fading. Thank you. Yeah. The lines that were fading in her kingdom earlier, right? In the narrator's kingdom earlier. But she didn't know the way to border them in. Exactly. Oh, because maybe, um, like we said earlier from M.M. Right, the idea that Christ is the filter through which we can understand that light. Yeah. Um, If he creates the borders, we still have no idea how to create our own. Yeah. Or something. Um, What I like about this line is that even if, so even if we're interpreting um his as being in reference to god um and i'm saying this as an atheist very much like disenfranchised with mm-hmm. uh religion but it's cool if you're not like of course there are different interpretations to this just me personally um i like that uh there's sort of this like conditional sentence here so like it's almost saying like if we love him we move within his borders right so like envisioning the world such that like god exists and he has created all of this we move within his borders and we're just this like asterism so just this is part of this whole uh universe of order or whatever like she's not quite asserting like I do love him and I do in fact move within his borders. She's just sort of laying it out as this potential way in which we can 
um, like view the universe and the vastness of it. I, I don't feel a committedness at the end of the song to actually like embracing um, theism of any kind. But I also don't feel like that she's um, not embracing theism. I think it's just rather like a sort of canvas. She's like canvassing the ways in which we could view this like vastness and existential dread. And that's, I like that. I don't know. And it also makes me think of um, the line of the rote universe, right? As something Mm. that is, as something that is unmoving. Yeah. Right. And if he is the one who is creating these borders, um, just kind of like the finality of, that yeah and like i don't think like three hours ago when we were at the rote <laughs> part <laughs> the rote universe i don't think that we mentioned that we gave a definition of it hard to remember because we've talked a lot since then but um like wrote the first time i came into contact with this word was like working with autistic kids and we would just like literally like r- repeat uh, numbers over and over but I looked it up and like it is just like repetition is the word that wrote I think is supposed to invoke yeah a um, mechanical or habitual repetition of something to be learned right yeah. okay so I think that like in describing the rote universe she's like like these themes are also like prevalent in divers later on but she's she's describing this like cyclicalness of the universe where like look your cycle isn't special it's it's repeating these same patterns of like life and then death and then life and then death and then like you're just not special exactly i don't know it 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 to me a little bit calls back to that of the stars set order too right so like if even if maybe even if he wasn't present this has still Mm -hmm. already been set in motion or something right like regardless of his presence or not yeah um like you said this pattern will repeat yeah. And in describing the stars set order again, I feel like it's ambiguous between um so the stars set order, it's set either by someone, by God, right? Mm-hmm. So the God could have been the person who set the order of the stars, or it could be rather that the stars are set in order by like determinism, by like sure. this series of events that cause the stars to be in the place that they are at, and it couldn't have been otherwise, and that is just the way things are gonna go. Um, so I like, I like that ambiguity. I don't know if it's me just sort of infusing the song with what I want it to be, but I, I like, I like thinking of it that way. Totally. So, um, we got an extremely touching and wonderful voice memo about this particular line. Um, I don't have the information in front of me, Sam. Do you have their name? I sure do. This line, uh, this um, submission is from uh, Selene. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You spelled it out for me phonetically and everything. Thank you so much. Hmm. Um, And they um, submitted a voice memo um, as a fan of Joanna's music for the last 10 years. Um, And here it is. Hello, my name is Selene and I've been a fan of Joanna's music for almost 10 years and her albums have helped me move past more than one breakup and a few losses in my personal life. So I'm very happy that all of you are doing this uh, podcast because there's always something new to say uh, about her songs and the themes in her music. 
I wanted to talk a little bit about Emily. And for that, I wanted first to share a short quote from Virginia Woolf's The Waves, which says, In a world which contains a present moment, why discriminate? Nothing should be named, lest by doing so we change it. Let it exist, this bank, this beauty, an eye for one instant steeped in pleasure. I feel that this encapsulates uh, one of the themes that I feel is integral to Joanna Newsom's music. Um, and this theme can be summarized in one of the last lines from Emily, the line that says, Joy, landlocked, embodies that don't keep dumbstruck with the sweetness of being till we don't be. For me, this seems almost taken from a page of Camus, and it speaks about the absurdity or the contradiction of wanting to live despite knowing death. And I think that there is a constant like asking and answering in her music. Uh, the asking is asking what is the point of living if in the end there is going to be death and forgetting and being forgotten. And there is the answering and the answering is saying the point is that there is joy. And this joy is bittersweet and it is fleeting, but it is also enduring. So what I fucking love about this voice memo is the, in particular at least, I love the whole thing, but the the part that I love the most is their commentary in um, saying that like a theme throughout Joanna's music is this like asking and answering um, in this sort of like existential way like what is the point and this answering being like the point is joy and so again we see this in divers coming up right and like time is a symptom um but this asking like yeah what is the point the answer being joy we're landlocked in bodies that don't keep we're gonna die we're fucking dumbstruck with the sweetness of being um i think you mentioned this when you were talking about mm Wright's contribution towards this this particular verse but um, she was saying like in an interview, Joanna was saying that she would talk to her dad all the time. Did you already mention this, Sam? Uh, just about the star. Right. Okay. So um, in this interview, she was saying that she um, like quite literally would talk to her dad all of the time about whether or not God existed and that she was saying her dad's theory was that God has to exist because joy is this superfluous um, thing that we all experience in excess that is not conducive to like evolution is not uh, like sometimes like it, it hinders our evolution in that we get so caught up and consumed by joy such that like it does not su serve an evolutionary purpose sure. and so her dad's theory is that like God exists because we know this fact of joy and this fact of joy cannot be just debunked by with an evolutionary explanation. Um, and so I think that very much here in this like existential as fuck song, she's invoking this very personal memory or this very personal reference to these conversations that she has with her dad in which her dad thinks that God does exist because of this joy that that we all experience that is just in excess 
but again, maybe it's just me reading into it, but I don't think we need to insert God in order for that to be a thing that we find meaning in. Totally. Yeah. I especially love in um, Selenia's contribution that they um, tied in Camus as well and just the idea mm. of um, the contradiction of wanting to live despite knowing death. Yes. Um, yeah. And like you said, the asking and answering is something that's so potent in not only in this song, but in all of her music. Um, just the description of joy is bittersweet and fleeting, but also enduring is so well written. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for so that submission. Much. Yeah, it's seriously such a beautiful interpretation of it. Uh, also, like the invocation of Camus is super interesting here to me because also like Camus has this uh, book called The Myth of Sisyphus um, in which he is basically trying to answer the question, like, why don't we kill ourselves? I believe that he opens the book by asking, like, here's the only question that matters philosophically. Um, here's the only question you ought to be thinking about if you're, uh, like, approaching the world in a philosophical, like, investigatory manner is like, why don't we just kill ourselves? This shit is all fucking meaningless. Like, meaningless. And we have to endure this, like, fucking Sisyphean, like, repetition of the day-to-day -day grind. It's a hopeless and, like, endeavor. What? It's a exactly, <laughs> Sam. Oh, my God. It's a hopeless endeavor. And his answer to this is sort of this, like, leap into – he's like, just choose joy, basically, is what he says. Like, choose to think of Sisyphus as happy. And I think it's a really interesting connection because uh, the Merope, I don't know how to say it again, but the um, wife of Sisyphus that we were referencing before, Merope, in reference to like the um, seven sisters, the Pleiades, right? So we're supposed to think of Merope, <laughs> the character that's likened to the narrator of this, that's likened to Joanna, is uh, later on marries Sisyphus, right? She marries this... Um, uh, mortal who gets referenced in Only Skin. So I think that um, what is the contributor of this voice memo's name? Uh, Selene. Selene. So I think that Selene's invocation of Camus here is like especially prescient. I don't know. I really, 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 really appreciate that. Yeah, that was a kick ass submission. Thank kick you. Kick ass you, submission. You. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then obviously, like the take this and eat this shit is like uh i don't know if it's christian or just catholic i think it's probably just christian um i, I don't know because i was raised super catholic were you raised religious sim i think in kind of the same way that you were um that it was something that we did on holidays and sometimes on weekends to perhaps appease um members of my family who were um, believers, but it was never something that I really dove um, wholeheartedly into. Yeah. Um, did you like go to like catechism and have to do confessions and stuff? I did. I've done one confession <laughs> in <laughs> my as life. A as a Catholic, yeah, we went to with like a Polish Catholic church. Uh, um, but it was so nerve wracking. Oh my God. As a child yeah. to be faced with this man. Um, this man behind the behind the, like the braided the braided glass there like it wasn't uh I, I did one so that says all you need to know about that 
The take this and eat this part is obviously just straight up referencing this like uh, either Catholic or Christian. Again, don't know anything about theology at all, um, which is quite a detriment to this endeavor. But anyways, so the take this and eat this is very much like take the body of Christ and eat it. Uh, but interestingly, she prefaces this and the next line, that, which leads into the chorus, with the word told, right? So told, colon, take this and eat this. So again, to me, maybe infusing my own beliefs into this, she's like sort of distinct, distancing herself in a way that's like non-committal. She's not rejecting this religion aspect, but she's also not quite embracing it. Um, so we're dumbstruck with the sweetness of being until we die, until we don't be. And we're told, take this and eat this. We're told here is like the meaning of life. Here is religion. Um, God has this all planned out for you. But that's just what we're told, right? She's not saying like. Believe. Uh, believe. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. She's not saying like embrace this. Exactly. We're just told this. And that's the way that we're supposed to find meaning. It's the way that is like, I don't know, I don't want to say like socially acceptable, but it's the way that like we are offered as a society. It's like the the clear path towards like trying to find meaning in a way that like if you veer from that path, it's really hard to know where to go to, to find meaning in the meaninglessness. Totally. And I also wonder just as you're talking about um, all of this, we were talking about patterns earlier and just kind of she's repeating, take this and eat this and the pattern of life and death, how, you know, we live, we eat, we die, we live, we eat, we die. Um, and someone's telling you to do that, right? Like, um, or maybe it's just like something that's innate to human beings. Like you survive until you don't, until you don't be. Um, But like almost the point is like, we do it without, uh, like analyzing it, right? Like we right. just do it by as if it's not either a instinct or yeah, as if exactly yeah. as if it's not a choice. We take this and we eat this and we live this life in repetition. It's like a rote existence that, uh, yeah, like we learn and we're just like trying to endure. And sometimes when you step back from that and you're like, what is this all for? Mm-hmm. She gets dark. It gets Emily dark. <laughs> yeah, I have this awesome note from, again, from this document from M.M. Wright, um, in which she notes that um, Christianity has ironically turned natural God into food, um, mm. um, something that is the body of Christ, um, but notes that here eating is quite the opposite of getting close to God and that this is maybe what Joanna um, is noting um, and just kind of yeah. a spectrum of um, God and human. So the idea is that like eating gets you close to God because of like the sacrament, like the. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um. Okay, yeah. And then I guess she just goes back into this chorus, the meteorite is the source of light. But before she had prefaced the um, the chorus with what word was it? So instead told. of told, she says, yeah, here she says told before she says, oh, she doesn't say anything. She just says like. It is. That, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, that it is. And here she's stepping back and saying, we're told this. <sighs> 
Sam, we did it. Did we do it? What do you guys think? Please yeah, think? let us know. <laughs> um, I think this will... <laughs> just looking at the time of our recording and we have been it's talking insane. for two hours and 47 <laughs> minutes so um needless to say this will likely be a two-part <laughs> episode um yeah please let us know what you think um again we are very new at this this is the as we are both huge podcast listeners and huge Joanna Newsom fans, but this is the very first time we've attempted anything close to this. Um, yeah. So yeah, please let us know what you think. We have an Instagram. It is a hopeless endeavor podcast. Um, we have an email address and it is a hopeless endeavor. Endeavor is spelt E N D E A V O R at gmail.com. Um, Nikki is running the Facebook group, which is it's just a hopeless endeavor, colon the Joanna Newsom podcast. So please uh join the group on Facebook. We would love to have you please like offer us either on the Facebook group or preferably by email and like we love voice memos. <laughs> um send them to us. Seriously, we're so interested in your guys' interpretations. We have I feel like we're super fucking lucky to have like a really intelligent like insightful audience <laughs> insofar as we have an audience which is crazy um yeah and the fact that we've received messages of encouragement and thanks yeah. already just entirely blows our mind and we are just so excited uh, to share this with you guys and to talk about it with you if you can't tell by this <laughs> two-part episode <laughs> <laughs> exactly like we just we want to hear your guys's thoughts and what we have to say there's like a ton of spots where where we just explicitly said like we don't know what the fuck is going on so we're super welcoming and like encouraging of your feedback please yes. tell us what's going on and the most humble too we did not profess yeah. to know anything at all anything or everything we just said about any of this yeah throw it into the void it's all good <laughs> you know like Thank you guys so much for listening. For people who have made it to the end of this like super long podcast, we know that it has been a trip. Yeah. A trip. A fucking trip. Thank you so much, you guys. We really um, appreciate it.